0: Well, it's great to be together this morning, and I want to uh, ask a few people to come out and join me. So I'm going to ask uh, uh, Jonathan and and Hacken and Steve to come and join us on stage. Um, so these are uh, uh, some guys that we've got to know, become really good friends uh, with. And uh, over the last few months, through the last couple of uh, posts, in fact, we've done a couple of what we call Alpha Plus courses, which follow on from the Alpha course. But both Steve and Hacken and a number of other people have uh, come, uh, done the Alpha course here with us, with Steve Lee, who's going to be speaking a little later. And uh, so Jonathan and I are just going to ask them uh, about their experience of doing Alpha, so it's, uh, we have talked about it beforehand, but they, uh, they're, they will be nervous uh, about, what, uh, about being here this morning. It's not normal to stand in, uh, in front of an audience like this. And so I want you to listen really carefully to what they say. So uh, I'm going to ask, hand over to Jonathan, first of all,
1: who's going to introduce Hakan to you. Okay, so this is surprisingly, it's Hakan. <laughs> <laughs> See? See, they're nice. They're nice, I told you they would be. Okay. So, uh, well, I'm not going to introduce Hakan, I'm going to ask him to. So, Hakan, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from?
2: Yes, sure. Um, Good morning, everybody. Um, Well, please forgive me, I'm I'm quite nervous because this is the first time I'm doing something like this. Um, Well, my name is Hakan, literally means the king. Um, (laughs) LAUGHTER Um, thank you. <laughs> um, I was born in Turkey. Um, my parents were not religious, so until I was fourteen years old, I never really didn't I didn't care about God or religion. But at the age of fourteen and fifteen, I started asking bigger questions: Why is there something rather than nothing? Um, what is the purpose of life? What am I doing here? So, those sort of questions led me to God. And because I was living in an Islamic society, <clears throat> God offered to me was God of Islam. And, and I realized it wasn't the God I was looking for. So I became an atheist. And I spent about 10 years of my life as an atheist. Um, and in 1999, because of the financial situations and the social pressure, I came to England and claimed asylum. So I spent seven years of my life as asylum seeker here, and then five years as a refugee, but now full British citizen, if I may say.
1: Okay. Uh, well, it's only a quick insight, so we're going to fast forward in uh, Hakan. I've been saying it wrong, a it? Hakan, is that better? Matter. Oh. Matter. In, into the story. So tell us, uh, Hakan, how did you come to be on the Alpha course? Tell us the story.
2: Sure. Well, um, one of my girlfriends. How many are there? <laughs> sorry, um, you're on public. You're in public. You know. Um, my girlfriend is a nanny. She's a childminder. She works in Winchester, and she there's a children's club here. I think she brought the children here. And
1: that's that's the Ark on a Friday morning. Oh,
2: okay. and um, and she met people from this church, and they told her about the Alpha course. She knows I've been interested in um, religion, and she told me about it, and so I came.
1: How about that? And there's someone here this morning who actually uh, gave Hakan's girlfriend that leaflet. Shows the power of a piece of paper and how God can use sometimes the smallest things, how God can use what we're doing. It's great. So uh, you went on Alpha, and, and afterwards you did Alpha Plus. Um, so... What, what impact has it made on you? What
2: difference has it made for you? Um, well, the thing about Alpha Course, um, and this, why I strongly recommend to everybody, is that um, I was reading the New Testament yesterday and I realized Jesus asked many questions himself. It's not that he didn't know the answers, but he, teach, he taught people by questioning. So there is something holy about questioning. So if you have questions, um, I think you should come to Alpha course, because um, when you ask a question, a genuine question, that opens a door in your mind and in your heart. And when God speaks to you, then the door is open. So you immediately and automatically recognize his answer. And your problem is cured. Cute. But um, the question has to be a genuine question. For example, you can come to an Alpha course and say, ask about the problem of pain or problem of suffering, one of the biggest questions in Christianity, and you will get an intellectual satisfaction only. But if, you, if your father is fighting with a cancer or mother fighting with a cancer, if you lost a child or a friend, if you're suffering, if you're really in pain, then if you turn to God and say, what is happening, why are you doing this to me? Why am I suffering? That's a genuine question and that opens a door in your heart. So that when God speaks to you, the door is open. You immediately get the answer and it heals. So if you have genuine questions, I had genuine questions, I think Alpha Course is a good place to be because you're strongly encouraged to ask as many questions as you can.
1: Brilliant. Well, finally... <laughs> there you go. So just finally, uh, Hakan, where would you say you've got to now in, in your faith journey?
2: Well, um, I always struggle with the practical things, physical things like bowing down or kneeling down or the idea of being baptised was something miles away from me. Um, but what happened during the Alpha course, um, um, especially a few things um, Steve said and Steve said. <laughs> they're, just, they're all called Steve. <laughs> there are many Steves. Steve. Um, um, made me realize something, and um, I think it was during the Alpha course one night when we were speaking, Jonathan and I and Steve that I decided that I think very soon I'd like to be baptized, so it is actually quite yeah, it helped me to overcome that difficulty yeah, yeah. That's your it. Faith, you would say. um well. I think th- the faith is—I mean, we all have faith. It's just a matter of recognizing it. Alpha Course helps you to recognize your faith. I think we all have equal faith to God, and it's just a matter of recognizing the faith. It helps you with that. Yeah.
1: Hakan, thank you so much for sharing. That's really good. We can go well done. Well done. Well done.
0: So this is my friend Steve, and oh, Steve. another Steve, and uh, Steve whispered in my ear, Ste- Stephen means king of kings, so Sorry, <laughs> I've got to take him at his word that he's right.
3: So Steve, what made you want to do the Alpha course? Well, uh, C- Kate, uh, my partner and I, uh, we believed in God strongly, and we wanted to explore Christianity more. Um, For me, I think I'd certainly become cynical on my spiritual journey, and um, this cynicism wasn't helping me grow, and I felt that I was stunted, so I wanted to explore more some of the questions I had to ask.
0: Okay, Steve, so how did you find out about the Alpha Course here?
3: Well, we got friendly with some neighbours of ours who actually go to Christchurch, and they recommended the Alpha Course to to us, and um, so... My partner was here for a different reason uh, and uh, just happened to see the leaflet and picked it up. And it was just at the right time because it was the next week and we would just been talking about it. So, we, we, you know, it was good timing.
0: There you go. Power of a bit of paper again. Amazing. Okay. So, Steve, what, what if anything, did you learn while you were on the Alpha course?
3: Um, well, firstly, I'm Steve. I'm going to big up Steve. Not that he needs it, because he's very, um, as you'll find out later, because he's speaking. Um, he was, you know, just very welcoming, inspirational, witty, and entertaining, but also thought provoking. <laughs> D- did we agree on a tenor? <laughs> did we agree? <laughs> did we? But he was, and uh, very engaging. And, and so just, just to be able to ask sort of any question that I had, and uh, openly uh, it was uh, revelatory to me, and, uh, and I'm still on that journey. But some of the things that I was adamant before in my old cynical mind, for example, the, the resurrection, it just didn't happen. Now my journey is much more open to the possibility that it might have happened, especially I remember Steve talking about the apostles and what changed between the time after the resurrection when they were frightened, they were in denial, they were in hiding, and this small disparate band of ordinary men went out into the world with this wonderful, incredible, powerful message against the backdrop of the Roman Empire, against all the odds, and made it the biggest religion in the world. Now, that's kind of special. So what happened after the resurrection has <laughs> left me with so many questions, and it's an inspirational story. And that's one of the many things that I got out of my questions that before I hadn't even considered were on the table. You know, it wasn't even an option. And now it's... Um, something happened. So...
0: So, so, Steve, how has your view of Jesus changed?
3: As I said at the beginning, Kate and I always believed in God. I had a strong belief in God. And I certainly believed in Jesus as an historical figure. I didn't sort of deny his existence or anything. But for me, he was a good man with a great message. His connection as the living God was something I hadn't connected with before, in, truthfully. And now I can see the Father, God, through him and his works and his words. For me, words are important, and and his words to me speak and echo that of God. And the fact that I'm here saying this now, it's difficult for two years ago if you asked me, that I'd be saying this here now, I wouldn't have believed you. Okay.
0: So, Steve, what would you say to someone thinking of coming along to the Alpha course or someone thinking of inviting someone to come along?
3: I can't recommend it highly enough. I mean, I love the whole experience. I've I've met so many great people. And if anything else, it's good food.
0: (laughs) So, one one last question. Steve, uh, what's been the impact on, on you?
3: I regularly come to church. And I remember you laugh when I told you this. And enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought that that was, uh, you know, when I was young. I occasionally used to be taken to church with my parents, and I just and uh, and no, I love it, and I get so much, and I feel that I'm growing. That that cynical self that was stunted, it's no longer me, and I've grown, and I'm growing, and I get so much out of it. And also the application to lessons I learn here to daily life. Um, I found it an inspira- inspirational journey, and I'm, I'm still on that journey, and I'm enjoying it. So, and I'd like to thank all of the friends that I've made here. You know who you are, being so welcoming and accepting me and my questions. Thank you.
0: Brilliant, Steve. <laughs> In fact, I don't need to say anything to Big Steve. Up, he's already had. Everybody has been saying it already. Steve
4: Thanks, Steve and Steve. I 'm Steve. And uh, as Steve said to Steve, Steve means um, priestly anointing. Does? You sound very impressed. You look <laughs> bewildered at the thought of that, but it does. OK, good to be with you today. Um, I want to talk for a few moments on uh, what I 've called the perfect storm. And uh, you'll see how it all fits together in a moment. Um, I want to say that when someone becomes a Christian or takes a step towards uh, knowing God through Christ, whether that's an alpha course or whether that's coming to church or whether that is a very personal, even internal journey that people may go through that can have all sorts of triggers, Um, some of them can be positive, some of them can be moments of elation where you wonder... um, what made the world, what created the beauty that we see around us. Someone said to me once that the most frustrating thing for an atheist is to look at a sunset and feel grateful and have no one to thank. So it can be very positive, it can also be moments of tragedy and crisis that cause us to reject God and for some people cause us to be magnetically drawn towards God but I do think there are three things that happen when someone is on that kind of journey and that kind of pathway there is a realization that something is missing Uh, the second thing is that there is a sense of being drawn towards God uh, with a desire to ask questions and find answers to questions And then there is, thirdly, a desire in some way to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And uh, that comes through understanding what Jesus was about, uh, the things that he said, the activity that he got engaged in, which is what we are going to focus on really sharply today, one particular story. And of course, those three things, as you will find out when you are a Christian, forms the basis of what the Christian life is all about. It's our need of God... It's our desire to know God and it's our obedience to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and to follow his plan for our lives. We live in a spiritual world. Unfortunately, our Western worldview force feeds us with the notion that what you cannot see doesn't exist but the Bible speaks of a celestial battle between good and evil where the battleground is worked out in the hearts and souls of human beings. That is the truth and that's why we reach moments in our lives where we know that there is a spiritual dimension, there is something going on, there is a desire for a spiritual answer to a spiritual question. And it is what the Christian life is all about. Um, a year ago, I took a massive faith of uh, a step of faith um, onto the Calais Jungle Camp, as many of you will know, with uh, the team that I lead. I lead a, a work called Miracle Street. And, uh, and I did it with the team, and I did it with the resources that God had trusted me with. And many of you, I know, were involved in helping us financially at that point, and a lot of you are involved in what I'm doing now. I know that. Um, so I just wanted to say that that, for me, was a moment of crossing over. It was a moment where I knew I needed to take a step of faith. It wasn't easy. Uh, the fruit has been amazing, but the storms have been fierce. And uh, I want to show you a couple of images, because I know a lot of you have asked questions about what we did. And uh, these are a couple of images, in literally in a minute or so, to give you an insight as to what we are about. Here's the first one. Do you want to hit the this next slide? OK, great. That's our, our truck. Um, some of you would have seen that for the first time in 2006. It was the main stage for the event called the Feast that we did over in River Park, um, and that's what it looks like now, and we do loads of events. Okay, that was where we put it on the camp, right in the middle of the jungle camp. Um, A lot of what we were doing was working with young people. This is a guy, uh, a Muslim guy, 14-year-old lad who was orphaned in Syria, who is one of over a 1,000 unaccompanied young people that are still trapped in Calais. And one of the things that we majored on throughout this year was caring for young people, um, giving them shelter. We had 10 huts of the, the classic kind of white huts that you see on the news. We had 10 of those built for us and we literally fostered uh, young people, young lads and this is one of them. This guy is now um, uh, fostered into a, a Christian family in Brittany and uh, there are many good stories. There is an awful lot of terrifying stories where kids have gone missing. Um, but that's a lot of what we have been about. Um, that's a lady called Libya who's working with me. This picture was in the Sunday Telegraph um, where it says Wi-Fi charging station. That's our truck. Um, I was kind of chuffed that we'd made it to the national media but slightly depressed that we were being described as a Wi-Fi charging station We were doing a little bit more than charging phones and uh, we did have a 4G mast on top of the roof of the truck, which was a Dutch telecom company that worked with us. So uh, we kind of made it to the national media and that was really um, what the camp looked like, obviously from the air, obviously, uh, in February. And this next picture... Uh, This is the destruction of the church that we were involved very much in partnering with and resourcing. And when the camp was demolished, um, or 65% of it was demolished in March, uh, the church went with it. And this became another iconic image, actually, that was all over the world press. And that blue cross, I've actually got that now. Uh, My friend Cissé, who was the pastor of that church, gave me the cross as a sort of a memento of uh, a pretty exciting journey when many Muslims came to Christ and we were very involved um, in supporting those guys. Guys. And the final shot um, is really the camp before and after. Um, uh, in March, the the camp was destroyed, and with the um, uh, the kind of orders of the local government. Um, Seven and a half thousand people at that point were displaced. Um, they allowed 1,500 to stay. The rest went out into Calais, and there is now ten and a half thousand in the camp. Over a thousand unaccompanied young people in a very small part of the camp. So we are actively involved in that area. Uh, we had to take the truck off because it became very dangerous. It's another story for another day. But I'm now involved in the churches in the part of Calais and Dunkirk, Calais and Boulogne. I was speaking at a conference just three weeks ago and helping churches to mobilise to welcome people in who are displaced and to um, have a presence into the camp and we are still very much involved in that. Okay, so that's my Calais journey. So what I want to do is to recount uh, a moment of crossing over for a a broken man, uh, a local community of which that man was a part, Uh, the followers of Jesus are crossing over too and uh, even Jesus himself. This is uh, the account of that story in uh, the end of Mark's Gospel, uh, the end of the fourth chapter of Mark's Gospel, and the first section of the fifth Gospel. So let's dive into it. Here's what happened. Late that day, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, let's go across to the other side. They took him in a boat as he was. Other boats came along. A huge storm came up. Waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, sleeping. They roused him, saying, teacher, is it, is it nothing to you that we are going down? Awake now, he told the wind to pipe down. And he said to the sea, quiet, settle down. It's more like something you would say to an overactive three-year-old um, before a naughty step consequence. But Jesus is talking to the weather. Okay, very interesting. Okay, the next thing that happened is this. The wind ran out of breath and the sea became smooth as glass. Jesus reprimanded his disciples. Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? They were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this anyway, they asked, wind and sea at his beck and call. Cool. Maybe the Jesus boys would have stayed in bed that day if they'd have had any idea what this pleasure cruise was going to involve. This boat trip. The Sea of Galilee is known actually for storms. Uh, in fact, there are signs in the car parks today warning sightseers that their cars could be flooded. So the storm is not unusual in and of itself. But this is not a regular storm. It's unexpected and it's extremely violent. So what's going on? What's the subtext behind this really famous biblical story? Okay, I said that it's... a moment of crossing over, and it is, and we'll find out more about what that's about in a moment. It's a crossing over for a man who we'll find out, we'll discover, and we'll meet in a minute. Uh, the community, which undoubtedly it was, a huge moment of crossing over for these guys that are described as the disciples, Jesus team. Okay, these are his. Boys, these are his fellas. These are the people that he is training and empowering. And in very uh, a very short place, place of time, there is going to be a baton change where Jesus is going to put the authority of what he is building into the hands of these guys. And that is the beginning of the church. That's what we're a part of today. It's a seamless transition right back 2,000 years to these days when these things were happening. So as... Uh, For those of you here, when I spoke last time in the summer, actually the story that I covered then, the uh, the feeding of the 5,000, I called it the bread of life, it actually precedes this story. But as in that story, and it's the same in this story, Jesus is working something into the hearts of his team as well. So it's a massive moment of crossing over, but it is also a moment of crossing over for Jesus himself. Up until now... Jesus has worked exclusively in the region of Galilee. But this marks the point where he crosses over into Samaria for the first time. And the spiritual battle lines are being drawn. This is a demonic storm that targets Jesus at the beginning of a geographical expansion to what he is building and the devil lays a trap to kill him. That's what's going on in this story. But this dangerous storm that's so fierce that it causes hardened fishermen, trained people to think that they're going to die. That's how bad that storm is. And Jesus is asleep. (laughs) It's fairly hilarious really. These guys are freaking out. They wake Jesus up and say, is it nothing to you? Is it nothing to you that we're going to go down? These people have worked the lake. They are not alien to bad weather conditions. So it's an indication that this storm is so violent, so unexpected, so terrifying. It's clearly an assault on the lives of Jesus and these guys. Jesus is not remotely stressed by the situation. But what we find out is this dangerous storm is a foretaste of a second storm that is waiting for them on the other side of the lake. But this time, it's a dangerous person. We all have a a picture of um, the kind of guy that we most fear turning up at one of our meetings, don't we? (laughs) I I do a lot of outdoor meetings and... um, I've been into some fairly challenging situations. But we've all got an idea. We've all got an image of the person we most fear rocking up at one of our meetings. Well, the disciples are about to find out he's not coming to the meeting. He is the meeting. He's the meeting. That's what Jesus is taking them into. Here's what happens next. They arrive on the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. As Jesus got out of the boat, a madman from the cemetery <laughs> came up. He lived among the tombs and the graves like you do. No one could restrain him. He couldn't be chained. He couldn't be tied down. He had been tied up many times with chains and ropes. But he broke the chains And snapped the ropes. No one was strong enough to tame him. Night and day he roamed through the graves and hills, screaming out and slashing himself with sharp stones. Now, here's the unusual bit, and this is the insight into who Jesus is and what's in him, the power that he carries. Listen to this. When he saw Jesus a long way off, he ran and bowed in worship before him and then bellowed in protest. What business do you have, Jesus, son of the most high God, messing with me? I swear to God, don't give me a hard time. Jesus had just commanding the tormenting evil spirit, out, get out of this man. Jesus asked him, tell me your name. He replied, my name is Mob. I am a rioting mob. Then he desperately begged Jesus not to banish them from the country. A man who describes himself to Jesus as a rioting mob, living in the cemetery and wreaking havoc on a region comprising of 10 separate towns. But there's some kind of split personality disorder going on here <clears throat> one minute the man speaks and then what's in him seems to speak it's a really strange encounter that the bible is so current it's so up to date people say it's an old book written by you know prophets and I've had a guy say to me once that the Bible was written by an astronaut in the 8th century you know I mean people have some bizarre ideas about the Bible and if you come on Alpha and if you invite your friends to Alpha you'll find out that the Bible is utterly unique there isn't a book on the face of this earth or has ever been that has the level of historicity to it that has the accuracy that can be Tested in all kinds of different ways. People say the Bible is out of date. Well, this, for me, is incredibly current and very relevant to our world today. I've met people like this guy. Um, I've seen many of them come to Christ. Some of them have joined my team, actually. So it's not unusual to see people like this. It's another case where the abused has become the abuser. And the behavior is the outworking of the spiritual landscape of that person's life. That's all that's going on here. So much emotional and spiritual breakdown in our world today is the result of a society that has rejected God and unfortunately an institutional church that has forgot its mission to the broken. So what is Jesus' next move as he begins to work at close quarters with this spiritual storm in the shape of this guy that's breaking over his life. This storm is breaking over this man's life and Jesus is looking at him. Well, Jesus' stress levels are just about as low as they were back in the boat when uh, he had a chat with the weather. Uh, This is what happened next and this is the funny bit. A large herd of pigs... Are browsing and rooting on a nearby hill. The demons begged him, Jesus, send us into the pigs so we can live in them. Jesus gave the order, but it was even worse for the pigs than it was for the man. Crazed, they stampeded over the cliff into the sea and drowned. Those tending the pigs, scared to death, I'm sure they were, bolted and told their story in town and country. Not your sort of standard exorcism, really, is it? You know, not much in the way of crosses, holy water, garlic. You know, it's uh, fairly unusual stuff that Jesus is doing. So what is the aftermath? What happened next? What about the community? What about the onlookers? Okay, so it's a point of crossing for the guy for Jesus, for the disciples back in the lake. What about the people who have lived with this guy, who have experienced firsthand the kind of stuff that he's got up to? Well, here's what happened next. Everyone wanted to see what had happened. They came up to Jesus and saw the madman sitting there wearing decent clothes and making sense. No longer a walking madhouse of a man. Those who had seen it told the others what had happened. The demon-possessed man and the pigs. <laughs> At first they were in awe and, they were upset, and And then they were upset over the drowned pigs. They demanded that Jesus leave and not come back. Absolutely staggering. Jesus has rescued this community from this crazy guy. And you'd think that they'd kind of be quite relieved by it, but they're actually cross with Jesus about what has happened to the pigs. So what's going on? How do we make sense of this kind of reaction? Well, the clues are there, actually. What are Jewish farmers doing breeding pigs? That's not supposed to be allowed, is it? So Jesus is engaging with this immediate problem, but in doing it he's yet again going after the hypocrisy in this religious system and he's actually tampering with the economy as well what always happens when jesus steps into a situation it's three dimensional There's something that is easy to see and easy to understand and work out. There's a a person or a need or a crisis or a storm or a conversation or a miracle. There's something going on. But as you start to understand what the Bible is describing, there's a context as well. There's something a little more unseen. There's something three-dimensional to what Jesus is doing. Okay, so let's see how the land lies after this second storm has passed. So the first storm is on the lake. Second storm is with this guy. What's he doing with his newfound freedom? What kind of condition is he in? Well, let's find out. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the demon-delivered man begged to go along. But he wouldn't let him. Jesus wouldn't let him. Jesus said, Go home to your own people. Tell them your story. What the master did for you. How he had mercy on you. The man went back and began to preach in the ten towns area. About what Jesus had done for him. He was the talk of the town. So... He became an evangelist and he started running alpha courses. Or whatever the first century equivalent of an alpha course was. Um, I bet a few people signed up fearing a relapse. What do you think? Jesus brought complete freedom to a tormented soul. Probably while um, his team were, uh, I don't know, recharging the tasers and looking for the pepper spray. I don't know what they were doing. Uh, We get an idea. We don't get to see this side of heaven, what the, the unwritten chapters are in this guy's story, but I bet they're brilliant. I bet they are pretty amazing. Of this man who has been totally set free by this face-to-face encounter with Christ, the Son of God. And the transformation is so complete. It is so powerful and it's instantaneous. Sometimes when we help people today and we get involved in prayer and ministry with people, sometimes it's not as straightforward as this. And uh, people live for years, for decades, with uh, mental and emotional problems, which has been brought on by a whole load of things. It's not for me to simplify what has gone on in the lives of many people. But what we do see here is a man becoming instantly free because of his involvement. With Jesus. It's truly amazing. And uh, as we kind of come to the finishing line today, let me say something to those who are uh, maybe considering Alpha, hearing Steve and Hakan say their experiences, which is so encouraging for me and for the team to see people connecting in at that level. Um, and maybe you're, you're here today. Well, I think you are here. Um, but, you know, you may be thinking, do you know, that that's, that's, that could be me. You know, I'm, I'm not sure where I sit with God and Jesus and the church. Um, but I've got questions. So let me bring you back to those three little touchstones that I talked about right at the very beginning. Of what, in my opinion, and observing in many, many, many situations, happens when this spiritual um, journey starts to take place in a person's life and they embark upon a journey which leads them to faith in God through Christ. There's a realisation that something is missing. And that takes a bit of honesty and it takes a bit of humility because the truth is we have to come to that point where we, we recognise that we don't have our own answers, that the world cannot provide the answers for the human heart. It's a deeply personal thing. And then that sense of being drawn, sometimes almost magnetically drawn, towards God. Towards the idea of prayer and getting to know what the Bible says about the human life. A magnetism, a sense of being pulled from the inside towards God. And then a desire to walk in his footsteps. In this story that I've told you today from the Bible, certainly my, my Calais journey and, and really the journeys that are in many people sitting in this auditorium today all bear this out, that there is a recognition that something's missing. There is a desire to, be draw, a, a desire to know God and there is a desire to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Take the step today whatever that means for you, maybe just wandering over there at the end and signing up for this next Alpha course, which starts on October the 4th, Uh, we would love to have you with us as we do the Alpha journey all over again. And uh, some of you have been on before, and uh, you may want to go on it again, that's okay. Uh, Some of you may be sitting here and thinking, actually, I've got a friend, Um, I've got a neighbour, I've got a member of my extended family who would really benefit from being on Alpha it is a lot of fun it is absolutely great fun for those of us who run it um, and uh, you know we get to know people and uh, we would love to see a whole load of people being part of that so just as I finish then um, you may be you may be listening to this story today and you may be feeling do you know what I've got i got some of those problems myself you know you may not be as extreme Um, but there may be emotional problems, there may be mental problems, there may be a sense within you, as often happens, that these stories kind of wake up something in our own lives. And uh, you may want someone to stand with you today, to pray with you. You may not be a Christian, and you may want to make that step today. Now, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to be the person at the front here who just points you in the right direction, just simply that. And uh, just to say at the end, I'll be over there at the Alpha desk, um, where you see the big banner there. And uh, we would love to have a conversation with you. Just to say um, practically as I finish, um, after we have finished today, um, we're going to have what we call the Alpha Lunch. And uh, that is for the team and people who have been on the team at previous courses guests of the last few courses but particularly and most importantly actually people who are interested um, who want to ask questions or want to explore what the next alpha course could look like for you Um, we're going to have food together and we're just going to stay here basically at the end of the meeting so let me pray. And uh, then I'll hand back over to Jonathan. And let me encourage you once again, if there are things that God is speaking to you about today, whatever that looks like for you, whether you're used to God speaking or whether you're not quite sure what it feels like, but you know something's happening and you would like to be prayed for, we would love to pray for you. Okay, let me pray. Father, I want to thank you so much, Lord, that when Jesus walked the earth, he dealt with real situations, real crises. But he brought freedom and hope and love and life and transformation into all kinds of different people's lives. Religious people, ill people, dying people, people who are antagonistic towards his message, people who are sympathetic, people who hunted him out, people that he went to. So many people, so many situations. And I pray today, Lord, in the diversity of of this group of people. Father, those who have walked with you a lifetime and those who are accessing this for the very first time and those who have heard about it but are still not totally sure where they sit. Father, I pray for the sense of your presence even now, Lord, in this building, taking people to that point of transformation. Father, help us, Lord, as we pray. Help us as we serve one another that we would all understand that ultimately it's not by power, it's not by strength, it's not by might, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through people's lives that we find freedom and we find transformation. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.